Strong language alert. Warning. This edition of Inside Supercars has some strong language during the roundtable discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more... Uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as he's not. In 2014, Chas Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30, and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chas win that race. That's a pretty, you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to another episode of Inside Supercars with Craig Lavelle and Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Tony, and uh, interesting racing over in the West, to say the least. And the cream is definitely rising to the top, but there's plenty of spoilers along the way from some of the results we've been seeing. Well, the interesting thing is that um, it seems that DJR Team Penske are delivering on the promise they really showed. Scotty McLaughlin, uh, a clean sweep of the weekend, apart from one pole. He only had one of the two poles. But, you know, again, showing that uh, teams that are well-equipped, well well-resourced, will actually get things done. And uh, they uh, are showing excellent form. A couple of other interesting uh, sidelights to uh, the weekend. Um both GRM cars, brand new Commodores for this year, uh, a returning driver, and both of them are in the top ten in the points. A very good example of uh, just diligence, due diligence by a team to, to get there. If you use the HSV model, they're using old cars, and they're going backwards at a rapid rate of knots, and a lot of controversy there. And, you know, clearly um, when Rogers uh, was signing off on the end of the Volvo uh, well, we won't say it debacle because they had some great success. Mm. But uh, the unwinding of that contract and the ending of the uh, marriage between Volvo and Gary Rogers, the team was able to resurrect everything and get things back online. And I think that's another example of the great diligence by a bunch of people who, mostly you'd say, with the exception of maybe Richard Holway, are largely unheralded, the backroom boys. Mm. And, and they're sitting fourth in the team's championship, which is no small effort, 100, 495 points off off uh, Shell V-Power. So, yeah, you is. know, it is. you look at what's behind them, and there are some big, big names behind them. On the upside also was the fact that Will Davison had his first race weekend for the year in the fourth event when uh, they finished both races, started both and finished both, which was the first time that's happened this year. And they're back in the point. Now, not, not big time, but two races in the top ten and showed great speed. So I think that was fantastic. On the flip side is, unfortunately, what's happening down Walkinshaw Way. Courtney having problems with what was Garth's old car that was swapped for him last year. And he's not a happy man. And the team uh, don't appear to be doing things 100% correctly at the moment. Well, interestingly, Garth hated that car. And he when he got the new chassis... Um, last year, at the back end of last year, he started going forward and started showing, you know, the form line that we expect of him. It's interesting now that James has got the car and he can't get it to turn either. No, no, and Scotty is well and truly outperforming him. Anyway, on with the, uh, the week's agenda. Um, one of the other things that's coming out of it is the three-way tussle because obviously PRA had a pretty good weekend with uh, three or four of their cars usually in the top ten, and I think that's a terrific thing. So they join both Penske's and Triple Eight in being a competitor for the teams and the Drivers' Championship. It is a wonderful thing to have a three-way tussle. Yeah, indeed it is. And we see that uh, on any given day, different cars can put themselves to the front. Now, we're seeing a good run by Shell V-Power, but... They haven't just walked away with this season. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen has had his time in the sun. We've seen uh, other drivers up there. So it's just showing that when you have the closest championship in the world, whilst you have expectations of uh, certain teams to do certain things, there are always those moments when even, uh, again, David Reynolds had a great run with the Erebus team. Yes, indeed. One other item of interest from the weekend was 
something that's probably always going to be a, a an if not a when sort of situation. We're sorry to hear that Tim Schenken had some health problems over the weekend, but fortunately for the series, uh, that Michael Massey, who's been his deputy and been the race director of the Super Twos for a couple of years now, he was able to step up to the race director's job in the Virgin Australia Championship. So it's a sad situation for Tim, but something that, you know, he was, uh, I think he's 73, and uh, it, it, there's always going to be a chance that he will be ill. He's been doing an amazing job for many, many years. Yeah, and, and uh, Michael Massey is uh, uh, just one of those nice young guys that uh, has gone through the very uh, the very long and tortuous ranks, even at a young age, of going through all those uh, levels of officialdom. And uh, I think it'll be good to see uh, someone like Michael getting that chance on the big stage. And hopefully Tim recovers uh, quickly, but uh, it's great to have a, a young face that they can put out and help cams, help uh, supercars show what volunteering can produce to someone who's not in the uh, in the uh, grey nomad set, if I can use that term. Yes, Tony. Well, one of the interesting things is, and it's... Uh, Another dynamic for someone like uh, Michael is that he's both worked uh, for Supercars Australia and for CAMS. So he has crossed the bridge between the two, and I'm sure that his experience and knowledge is that much better for that, that very thing of having been in both situations. Anyway, on with the show this week. We've got a bit of a treat for our listeners because we've got Brad Jones, an ex-driver and still current team owner with three cars in the main championship and three in the, in the Super 2, along with John Faulkner, who's both ex-driver and ex-team owner. They're just going to give us some of their thoughts on how they see the championship progressing. Obviously, Kim is very, uh, Brad rather, is very seriously engaged because he's not only a team owner of multiple cars, but also on the commission. So we'll uh, get their thoughts and views in the next segment. Coming up after the break. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question... Email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. Warning, this interview has some strong language. We're here with John Faulkner and Brad Jones giving their opinions as both ex-divers, one ex-team owner and now one a current team owner with a multiple team in both series. John, Craig, uh, Craig uh, here with uh, Brad Jones. Good evening. Hi, guys. Good evening, Tony. How are you going? Well, indeed, thank you. Okay, so John Faulkner, of course, uh, left the championship in '02, was it, John? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I flicked up to Queensland and sort of, yeah, sat back and went fishing. <laughs> right, okay, so I first met John when he joined the championship. I'd been seeing him briefly in competing in NASCAR and OzCar. Uh, he'd been a regular competitor in both those series. He, uh, his best ever Bathurst results, uh, and he went back in 1980, he was driving at Bathurst, with, of all people, Gary Dumbrella's his uh, driving mate, back in Capri's and Escorts, I understand. Yeah, a long time ago. Um, it's amazing the people you you grow up with and then see to see them where they are now and and in control of enormous budgets. But, uh, yeah, look, you've got to start somewhere and, you know, try okay. and get into Bathurst in those days is pretty hard. So you were a regular com- competitor in Bob Jane's uh, Thunderdome? In when you would have first come across Brad, and as he was there in Oscar and NASCAR as well. Yeah, I reckon I was banging doors with Brad in group production cars. You know, when I was with Toyota and back in the early Group C days, I remember the lads from Albury. And you know, look, not that we were mates, but we certainly raced occasionally hard together. And sort of when we arrived at Thunderdome, you know, we all we all knew about each other. Right, and of course, Brad. You raced regularly against John door handle, door handle in both turning right and turning left. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, those, certainly for me, those years, 
of, of Oscar and NASCAR racing were very fond memories. I mean, you know, you, you look back at all the racing that you've done over your life, I guess. And when I first got the opportunity to to drive um, uh, touring cars or any of those sorts of things, I mean, when you're that age, you just jump at everything you can. I can remember racing a production car and um, one of Tomo's sports sedans, like the Benz or the Monza, on the same day. And, uh, you know, uh, other days I'd be running the Group A Starion and, and um, one was left-hand drive and one was right-hand drive. So, um, you know, you need to be careful not to jump in the production cars in the passenger seat. So it was, <laughs> it was um, you know, those, those days I look back on certainly with fond memories. And, uh, uh, John, when you left the series, um, it was obviously reached a time you were either going to have to step up and get more sponsorship and you sold... Your two licences. You left the Sorry? series, what, NASCAR or Supercar? No, we moved on to Supercar. So you, you, your best ever was a fifth at Bathurst, and you finished 10th that same year in the championship in 97. Um, yep. And you then sold your licences, and um, I'm trying to remember who, who bought them. It wasn't Keys Wheel. Oh, I, think, I think in those days we sort of, you know, selling was... Another word, it was, it was sort of a lease deal done with Holden and, as you know, which, you know, turned to crap and um, sort of put me into a forced retirement. But at the end of the day, I suppose, you know, it was due. You know, we couldn't... I just couldn't find that 1.2, 1.5 every year to drive in and try and run the team. So, you know, that was just a carrot, you know, Crennan said, you know, go to Queensland and go fishing or something. So I did. Yeah. Brad, how did you manage to transition from driver owner to just team over? How did you and Kim? Because obviously you have to have a strategy to transition like that. Um, well, running around the back of the field is never a pleasant experience when you run around at the front for a while. And so for me, I'd gotten to the point where I felt that it was almost impossible to do both successfully. So. Um, I'd had a fair bit to do in the running of all the cars that we we'd done, and and um, but to the, you know the the supercar program required more people, more hunting for money, more everything, and and so for me it was first part of that was to decide to stop, which I I you know been um, wanting to do for a while, and and then put it off, and so you know I just got to a point in New Zealand where before the the Sunday race, the last race, I said to Kim, this is it, I'm not going to do the next one, I'm done. And and then it was a matter of sitting down and, and going through it all. So, you know, we briefed the sponsors and then we worked out how we, we moved forward. And so I spent a fair bit of the next you know, month or so, actually I went to Winton and walked up and down and had a look around. It was a really weird experience not driving the race car. But what I did work out is we'd gone from when we raced Super Touring and even when we had NASCAR and Oscar, I was one of the front-running, best-presented teams to, you know, looking like um, I, th- I felt we were the second-worst-presented pre- team and and we performed accordingly. So it was just about rebuilding the business. And so it wasn't, wasn't that difficult in terms of not driving the car anymore. But what proved to be tough is trying to rebuild the business and become competitive because everyone that you compete against is doing the very best they can every weekend and some of them had a massive amount of money so to try and you know haul them in turned or proved to be not that easy but you know we chipped away at it i think you know we ended up in a spot that wasn't wasn't too bad john was that ever a consideration to go from owner driver to owner uh yeah i mean like brad said you know I could echo everything he said. Um, we're racers, you know, we want to win. I'm used to winning in carts and, you know, everything I've ever been in. And all of a sudden, when you get into supercars, you quickly realise the have and the have-nots. Um, you know, Brad was a team that we looked up to when we came to Oscar. He had, you know, all the fruit and we wanted to compete on an even playing field. But supercars was another league. And for me... Uh, you know, look, my last Bathurst was 205 or 6 or something with Morris, and I was 54. Um, 54 years old and ran in the top 10. Uh, last two Bathurst, top 10. Fantastic. Did more laps than probably half the field. But just 
getting too old, too hard, it's too competitive, and the worry of finding the money and buying all the people, I could just see that JFR would step back, look at the business model, uh, you know, keep our sponsors. So Holden said, hey, what about running the Young Lions? And that just fitted like a glove. So, yeah, run run some young guys. Like, we started, you know, your Dumbrils, Carusos, uh, Todd Kelly, I first ran him. Like, you know, a lot of history back there. And, and I honestly get just as much enjoyment as watching the young guys that we've run through as probably, well, that's probably a bullshit statement. No, um, I just enjoyed running other people <laughs> later on in life. <laughs> it's a different sort of rewarding, isn't it, John? Like when you, you run a car, you don't feel the highs and lows that you feel when you're actually competing yourself, but it's a bit more like a job. And so you you feel pretty good when you win or when you do well, and you feel pretty shitty when you don't, but you don't, it doesn't encapsulate the pressure or the highs and lows to the extent that it does when when you're actually driving. And honestly, the for me, um, the only time I've ever experienced that, that sort of feeling is watching my son race. So I get nervous like I used to before I start a race, and I you know I feel it's I don't like it to tell you the truth because I may as well still be driving. But you get that same feeling. But I totally understand what John's saying because you just you know, it's good when you go good and when you follow them. You know, like I follow guys that used to drive for me and you go, you know, you have a connection with them, but it's not quite yeah. the same as when you're driving. Yeah, yeah I watch you on the supercar telecast and you're the, you're the most stressed out looking bloke they interview. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually true, I think. Yeah, you, yeah. Both, you both drove with Wynn Percy. Now, there's a character. What were your experiences? Because it was two years apart. I think, Brad, you drove with him in 97. And um, nine, oh, sorry, ninety-five. And uh, John, you drove with him in ninety-seven. Now, John, you finished fifth, and I think Brad, you might have finished fifth with Win at Bathurst. Yeah, I did, and, yeah. and you know, I knew Winston from the nineties when he was he was a man at, at HRT, and you know, we were, I was out there every second day, like Crompton and Mazira, trying to convince him to stick me in the second car. So, um, oh, I always had a good relationship with Winston. I think what's happened to him. Is, is terrible. It's a terrible, uh, terrible way to be. I mean, mind you, my dad was paralysed for you know, since he was sixteen. So, I, I, you know, there's still plenty of things you can do. But um, Winston was a, a nice guy. I mean, you know, it took me a long time. And when you're young, you always feel like people. You don't understand why people look after themselves, or not even look after themselves. You don't quite understand why you don't get as many opportunities as you feel you should. Um, but as you get older, you know, things change. You know, I was telling someone the other day, when I used to drive for Tomo in the sports sedan, they front the two cars out in qualifying, and it used to be 30 minutes, and he'd jump in one, square the thing around, and do a time, and, and you know, they both have green tyres on them, and he'd come in, talk to Peter, jump in the second car, square that around, and then they'd have a little bit of a discussion. He'd jump out and decide which one he was going to race, the whole time I'd be sitting on the fence waiting and then with about five minutes of the session to go, he'd go, you're in the Benz this weekend or you're in the Monza and then they'd strap me in and I'd have a, have a go qualifying, which is, you know, I was usually about a second quicker than him. So um, you, you don't really get it when you're that age. And it was a bit like that with Winston, you know, like I felt at HRT, you know, I couldn't understand, like like Thomas and Compton, that I wasn't getting the right opportunity. But, you know, he was a, a really nice guy, Winston. I can't can't say that he, uh, um, you know, he was anything but that. And he was uh, certainly a good peddler. He's one of those guys that could jump in the car and drive it really quickly and probably not have a clue why. And, and um, you know, I don't I don't know that you really get away with that so easily nowadays, but he was just a very naturally gifted guy who could drive a car pretty fast. Mm. John, what John, were your memories? Um, uh, yeah, look, I got introduced to win through Les Small and... Uh, probably, you know, uh, at HRT, uh, Winston rang me one day and said if I was available for a test day, they were getting some drivers together. That was way before I even bought a supercar. And so to reconnect with him, for him to run our car was a status symbol for us. Like, I mean, we had a ex-Brock car, Beth, you know, a lot of history. And, you know, Winston turned up at our shop and we were talking, you know, had a cup of tea and we had a look at the flowers out the front and talked about every other piece of shit except what we were actually going to do. 
and he was just so easy to work with. Uh, and we were fortunate that it rained at Sandown, and yeah, he was just in his element. He just we cruised right up to fourth place out outright, and we both complimented each other and got a great result. Bathurst, he was just as good, just like he'd been there, done that. You know, yawn. You know, JFR little privateer team. Here I am. You know, but hey, it was great. A lot of people came down to say hello at JFR that we wouldn't normally see, so we're a bit of immediate media attention. Everyone thought, no, you know, who's JF? I arrived at Bathurst and no one knew me. And it was all about Winston, but awesome guy. And, you know, super sad that, look, we connect on Shipbook and, you know, other social media sites, but I just had Johnny Smith ring me not, not 15 minutes before I was on air and haven't seen that guy or talked to him for, for 10 years. So... That's just how it all works out. But a great time with Wynn and you liked every minute of it. John Smith, of course, was your teammate in the Toyota days. Yeah, you're having a reunion up here, which is just a piss session at an Italian restaurant, apparently. But it, I'm, I'm honoured to be invited and haven't really kept in touch with any of those dudes. So, so yeah. would that be Mike Quinn? Probably, yeah. Another, another car salesman. The Bathurst in the early days, you could run it. You could run a car, you know, if you owned a workshop or a service station. That's the way it was. And I know how Brad feels when you, you just feel like you just, you just, you're not as competitive as these young dudes that have been karting since seven and got dad's money behind them. And, you know, you just, you, you just, you're kidding your, your whole team that you think you're going to run at the front and win a championship at that stage. Well, the great thing is that the series still keeps producing young blokes. They keep on coming in. You know, I mean, uh, this year, of course, we've got uh, Alex Rouleau, a 16-year-old, and you, of course, introduced Paul Dumbrell. Yeah, yeah. No, all good. All good young guys, and it's just great. It's, it's the dad that pushes them, you know. It's the old soccer mum, karting dad, same scenario, and Brad's no doubt had many people knocking at their door with the money, and sometimes you just have to take a step back and go, well... You know, do we want to spend every weekend fixing our car and replacing the synchros in the gearbox? Um, you know, and Dad always thinks, boy, you know, he was really good in carts, but how come he's not on the front row when you're running him now, like at supercars, you know? So I went through all that with, the, you know, Delberto, Caruso's, your Dumbrils, all that. Look, look, good steerers, and I, I get a great pleasure out of seeing them run competitively today. And, you know, put a little feather in the cut and go, yep, yeah, we start. They, they crunched the AFR's gearboxes before they looted everyone else's transmissions and had all the offs. And, and now they're all earning a million bucks a year, swanning around on the Gold Coast up here. Love it. Absolutely love it. So, Brad, now the series this year went made a step back to the enduro sort of style format, the longer races, that is, and going back to two race weekends, not the threes that have been developing. Do you feel that's been a success from a team point of view? Putting aside, you know, the, the Dunlop, the, the tyre issue at Phillip Island, that's something that was unforeseen, and, you know, that's not something that's going to play in the future. Oh, you mean over two, two races instead of the yeah, 60, yeah. 60s? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I definitely think that was better. Um, you know, we've, we're limited to the amount of kilometres we can do on a weekend as part of the REC agreement, and so... Um, but that's not to say uh, we don't we don't give exception to that rule under certain certain circumstances. Easy for me to say. So Sandown, as an example, this year we uh, sorry um, Philip Island we increase the distance. But I think the you know people talk about 2020 cricket and we need something similar. Yeah, unfortunately, our racing lends itself, I think, to longer runs and pit stops. And yeah. when we try and do um, when we try and do a, a tight short sprint race, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. These cars yeah. are hard to pass in, and um, um, so you know you need to have have other opportunity. You need tire degradation, you know, pit stop, whatever the case may be. So it, it's um, I think it's certainly what we've got now is a step forward from what we had. Can we make it better? Maybe um, I'm not sure how yet, but but um, I think what we've got. To, Pretty reasonable program. And John, from your perspective as an ex-competitor, looking on at what you're seeing now this year compared to say last year, are you enjoying it more? No, 
Tony, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me that question. Well, it's, it's, I don't want you to say anything other than what you feel. I, look, I, I've i got the 75-inch TV. I watch it. I've got Fox. I, I, I live and breathe it. I find it difficult to follow, and I, I yeah. think the general what, punter... What, what, do you find, what do you find difficult about it? Well, I mean, I, I've got to have the strategy explained to me by yourself or Crompton or, you know, or, or um, uh, Larkin. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, I want to see racing. I want to see passing. Um, but don't you, you think know, the, I, problem, I, the problem we have with the cars now, not the problem, but... We, you, it's difficult to have it both ways. So even though we have parity in terms of very the most restrictive rules we've ever run in terms of engine horsepower and what you can do with it and chassis all being the same, it's made the racing very close but impossible to pass. So that's why you, I, that's why I think in sprint races you need to have pit stops to try and give people opportunity. And I think on the Sunday when you've got to drop 120 litres and you can... You know, you can drop a certain amount in the first stop and a certain amount in the second stop, depending on where you want to place your car. I mean, for me, that is very strategic. But, you know, maybe I'm a bit close to it. You are. You are. And, you know, Allison watches it and a couple of mates watch it. We just struggle with, you know, even the terminology, you know, from, from the commentary. Um, I just... When it rains, I just go, wow, I want to watch it. You know, when there's tyre degradation or someone can go on and get another set of tyres and work it all. Like, Perth was really good. I, I enjoy racing. I want to see passing. You know, if you're braking as late as when your eyes water and there's no passing, you know, aero and all that crap wasn't around when I was there. So, you know, I just want to see passing. That's all I want to see as a punter watching the TV. They're all good kids. They've all come from karting backgrounds most of them i just find i get a bit lost in you know the fact that you all lost so much in tasmania um you know due to decisions and weather and that's that's stuff for a for a driver you know you want to win on merit you want to beat the guy next to you not because you've got 10 liters more petrol than him and got on your tires earlier i don't know probably just a, another disgruntled ex-race driver brad yeah, but then see, tyre deg, it comes about about running long or short, which, I mean, you don't get a better option or you don't get a better opportunity to see that than than um, Perth. But it is, yeah. I mean, it's really difficult because you think about it this way. If you opened it up and let AAA do whatever they want and Penske, look what they've done, and you let them do whatever they want and you don't have any opportunity for deg or passing. I mean, did you watch a Grand Prix? I thought they were... Yep. Yep. Not great races, but that's what you're going to see if you just don't have any pit stops. Mm. But why don't they get someone that wants to change the rules? Why do you need 30 staff and $6 million to run? It's just, just to me, it's there's a heap of young guys out there that's just screaming to get in one of these cars or something to compete equally. I mean, yeah, but I can't it, believe they I'm are, really they are Lounge is on the way out. Like, Lounge is, Lounge is an old dude now, and Bridie, and, oh, man, they're just talented racers. Yeah, but, but, you know, they've sort of done their dues. Like, I mean, you know, probably a good example. He's not at my place anymore because I didn't, I didn't feel that, that um, I felt like he was done. Um, yeah, but he's smart. Look at Tander. Tander moves to another team and all of a sudden, Tander's... Yeah, that wasn't his choice. Yeah, oh, OK. Yeah, well, see, that's where I'm not connected, Brad, so, you know, it's really hard. But, but it, it, you know, but they feel like they don't want to stop yet. You know, it's like Russell Ingall. I mean, he's had, he's, he's, Anthony, he's, had more comebacks than whoever. <laughs> yeah, um, good steer. Good steer. Yeah, but well past it now. Well past it. <laughs> but, Guys, um, I'm interested, though, to get talker. your thoughts, Brad, because uh, you said you're under more parity, you're under more control for the cars. When you guys were racing in, in uh, the NASCAR or the Oscar, and at different times I understand different types of cars, but you normally had two or three of each component. You could use this type of piston or that type of piston. You could use this type of oh, brake no, pad and that type open. of brake pad. Every, every, nah, it's pretty open. Everything, I mean, it's the most restrictive it's ever been in our category. But what you're going to do is you're either going to, you know, as, as time goes by and you use the same implement, people get to work out how to make the most of it. Everybody does. And so then in the end, you, you, you're really picking the pepper out of the, um, the fly sheet out of the pepper. It's so... Height. it's hard to see it if you open it up 
what you're going to do is you're going to go back to days like when Brock and Johnson used to race where you might win a race by lap. Now, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you're not going to, you know, you might see some good racing for 10, but I don't know that you're going to see it because someone will have more horsepower, but probably not the idea to make the suspension work. And someone might not have enough horsepower, but be able to get the suspension to work. If you look at Penske's place as as an operation and what they spend on their NASCAR program, if it was open... It would be crazy what they would be able to do. Even NASCAR is limited a bit now. So evolution means lots of things, but in motorsport, really, evolution has been all about working within perimeters. Even in Formula One, which once upon a time was an open category, it's no longer that. So, um, you know, I, I, I hear what John's saying because I like watching good racing and, you know, like watch Supercross or watch... MotoGP, all the different forms of motorsport to speedway. I love watching speedway. So it's, it's, you know, it's hard. And, and so in our category, by opening it up, what you're either going to do is one, you're going to open it up for spending, but you're either going to open it up and someone's going to get a fair way down the road or you're going to keep it tight. I mean, to encourage racing, you might run a super soft and a soft on a weekend. That was one thing we used to do. So. Um, you know, I mean, it's. You know, I think I think the commission in supercars play around with it a fair bit, but but you know they operate within guidelines as well. So it's not an easy easy thing to come up with the right answer because you look at Bathurst, one in every four houses watch that on Sundays, you know, and strategy comes into that. You know, they short fill it, they jump people in pit stops, they do all that shit, but it goes all day. And we'll come back after the break with more from Brad and John. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Warning. This interview has some strong language. Welcome back. Brad and John talking on Inside Supercars, giving us their version of Spacey the Championship. Isn't one of the problems with motor racing today the fact there aren't the problems? The fact that from when you know you and I started listening and watching motor racing back in the 60s and 70s, cars Shit, you were doing that a long time before me. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Uh, Brad, I gave up doing race facts because I was older than most drivers' fathers, okay? <laughs> no, you're, you're kicked out of too many supercar workshops for riding the, rock, for, for riding the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it's that, that whole problem, though. I mean, with computers, with better materials, with better machining, with all... Oh, yeah, no, that's right. Nothing, nothing goes wrong, but... But also, you don't, you don't, you just don't have opportunity. You can't run different things. You know, you just yeah, yeah. there's 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 just not the not the opportunity. You know, they're, they're you know scrutineering is such that it's tight. And so, I don't know. It's it's a it's a difficult one. Mm. Hey, Brad, you know, my thing, wife the reason I think it changes in the yeah. My wife's just asked me a question, and I've got to ask you, what what's with all the penalties? That just takes it out of the driver's realm. What, what's the yeah, I, I, honestly, I think it's crazy that that picking pinging people for that shit at Phillip Island is just rubbish. I mean, and and then uh, at, at they started talking about doing it at, at Perth, you know, running over the curb because they were looking for that little something extra to to make it quicker, and so they put some timing loops in because you know you're not meant to leave the circuit, so um, and get an advantage, but but. Um, with this new tyre, they were turning a lot, a lot harder. So they were going out over the ripple, half over the ripple strip, and then joining before they got the timing loops instead of driving around the back of the, the timing loop. But that really comes down to the stewards. So I can tell you exactly what happened at Phillip Island. Um, PRA stood up or went and asked a question after drivers' briefing. If anyone drives over, you know, there's a rule that says you can't. You got to, you know, same pit lane. You can't run over the pit box. And they said. Is that going to be a problem in the race? And then they started firing 
messages down the land to race control, and race control started pinging people. And once they started looking at it, they pinged the PRA as well, which is what I would have done if I was a steward. Um, but, it's, but it's crazy because, one, I mean, it, it just um, makes us look like a joke. They should have put a witch's hat out there, you know, and the yeah. whole problem would have gone away. It's just stupid. And, and so, so, you know, that's one of the reasons. It's just frustrating. You know, and and we have been getting a bit of that. It's like I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania to finish under the safety car and do one lap. Like, what is it? Oh, like I'm sure you and every other driver, bro. It just, I just stood there and looked at it. And, you know, they came and asked me in Pilane. I went, "Are you serious? Do you think about restarting this? Oh, it's going to be dark in a minute." No, no, just just let it go. And then they held the five minute board up. So. You know, I think the right outcome I was done at the end, but it's dumb shit like that that just isn't acceptable. And I've got to say, James Warburton is all over it. So he gets it and he's frustrated with it. And so, um, you know, but but it's been happening and it makes us look ridiculous. You know, I can't I just, you know. Brad, like Brad, you certainly said... certainly my opinion. Yeah, Brad, you said before that uh, when you first day of not being a driver, being a team owner with Kim, you walked down the pits and you saw the different appearance of the teams. You do that now? How, you said your team oh, looked yeah. like the I worst. When you look at it now, where do you look? Where, where do I think we are? Mm. Depends on the circuit. I think our cars really struggle on low grip. So, you know, it came out of Clipsal. I think our team presents pretty well off the track. I guess I should qualify that to start with. So I, I think we're probably in the top five teams. Um, and then on the track, I think on our day, you know, like Eclipsal, we we were, you know, inside the top 10. We qualified 10th and 11th one thing, 7th and 8th the next. So, you know, there's a reasonable amount of grip there. So I thought we're pretty good there. Um, then we went to the AGP and um, Nick had a, a brake problem, which was a manufacturing fault. And then that and had an engine problem, so that put him out. And then Timmy, I think, he qualified third in two, two of the races and finished third in one. So we obviously had a bit of pace there. Um, in the wet, we were very competitive in, in Tasmania. But to John's point earlier, the difference in qualifying, and, and our cars were almost identical, Tim Slade to Nick Perkat on the Sunday and the Saturday, we had one PSI less tyre pressure in Nick's car on both days. On Saturday in the wet, he was fourth and Tim was 17th. And then on the Sunday... Tim was fourth and Nick was qualifying 17th. So it doesn't take much to really make a difference, you know, in those sort of conditions. Um, but low grip circuits, we struggle. So, you know, I thought we struggled. Um, we struggled on the weekend and then, you know, we'll come into Winton and we'll be pretty strong. And I felt that in Tasmania, we were trying to run twin front springs on on Tim's car. We didn't get a run in the dry, so we didn't quite get it right. So he dropped from fourth back to 10th and Nick started 17th and, you know, for more than half the race, he's the fastest car on the track. So, you know, I, I think I think we're in the top four or five teams. Um, I think there's probably Penske's in front, then Triple A, then PRA, and then I think, depending on the weekend, it's GRM or us in terms of pace. Mm. And congratulations to uh, Tim Slade's team's leading the pit stop challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you look hard enough, you always see a little bit of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was interesting. Craig uh, recently brought up a suggestion which um, you you may either scoff at or think, yeah, that's worthwhile thing. The idea of actually stopping on the data. Everyone runs uh, similar, if not the same software, with engineers, is that maybe after, say, Queensland Raceway, after practice, Everyone's telemetry is turned off. I don't make any difference. Well, okay. Well, wouldn't it make the engineers have to work a bit harder? Well, you don't think they work hard enough already? No, no, no. They go home at 12 o'clock and they get... I mean, look, they just find another way to find the information. Right, okay. So if you're looking for closer racing, um, then, you know, that's a different story. If you're looking to make it harder, it's very hard already. And, yeah. and I don't know that that will make the racing better. Because what you got to do I, I is just, find a I way of making everyone Yeah, you're right. I got to interject. You're, what what annoys me is it's not about the drivers anymore. It's more the engineers in the car. You haven't talked about the drivers. The drivers are all really, really good, obviously. And in Perth, it was just 
you know, it was a tyre thing. You know, you know, you turn the tyres and you go backwards. I just, I would like to see, not me, but generally the public, the punter that watches the TV, wants to know why their driver one week, like NASCAR, you put a different hat on when the driver goes out. Um, every different driver every weekend wins. Is it because it's, we all know it's not, the driver doesn't forget how to drive or race every weekend. So it's the car and the engineer. It's all about the car and the engineer. And it's... But I, I, I mean, certainly me, from a fan's perspective, I, I would rather... I mean, you know, I like watching Formula One. That is absolute shit at the moment. They don't pass. You know, you know exactly who's going to win. I, I, I would rather, as a spectator, turn on. That's one of the great things about GP Speedway. You've got no clue who's going to win. And that's the way I feel about it. Yep. Um, I, the driver's still an important part, but you've got to have everything else as right, right as well. So... Um, and it's like that in lots of forms of motorsport, and it ultimately ends up like that in anything that's been around for a while. So, so I mean, you know, you've got to be able to tune the car. So if you took all the data off the car, then it would be a lot about driver feel. That might make a little bit of a difference, but I still feel that the really clever people um, will, will make a difference. It's like, it's like squeezing a tube of toothpaste. You know, squeeze it with a lid on, and the shit's going to come out somewhere. And, and that, that's what this sort of racing's like. You keep on throwing enough money at it, you can cover the holes enough. And so, you know, all those sort of things contribute. Um, one thing's for sure, though, if you've got a, the best car in the field and you can't drive, you're not going to win a race. And that's one of the good yeah. things about our category. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone, in our, anyone in our category can win that race. Anyone that was there at Perth can win that. Eva Simona was... You know, the female, yeah, great. Look, I, I, I really I really support her. I just think at the right time and the right tyre, the right she's just she's there. She's there. She let she let her boss, her teammates, fantastic. Yeah, I think she's quick in qualifying, but I think these things are really hard to drive in a race. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean she's it's gonna take her a while to get her head around it. It's like when Max Wilson came here, it took him three years. Yes. So it's it just they're, they're Horrible cars to drive fast. You know, they, they don't stop properly. They, you know, and everyone's trying to find a different way of making them work. Like, I would say yep. our cars are very nosy and they they um, look after the rear tyres quite well because, you know, we make them turn a little bit differently to some of the other teams. Other teams have them set up with a fair bit of rear brake and that's how they make them rotate and, and um, that makes them work the rear tyres a little bit harder. So there are other things, but, you know, it's such... It's like adjusting the deck chair on a Titanic. You know, it's not a big difference, but it just, you know, <laughs> might keep you out of the water for a few seconds longer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and tell me, Brad, uh, where where is this Titanic heading? I mean, you know, there's, there's more thoughts of uh, noises about Sepang and things like that. In your uh, in your world, do you think competing overseas is the is a solution for the category? I mean, is that going to no, be absolutely enough? not? Right. No, okay. no, I don't think so. I think I like the idea of doing one race overseas because it's, and I don't count New Zealand as being overseas, but yeah, I, I like yeah. the idea of one because your sponsors can run competitions and different things. And it's nice to go somewhere, but but doing you know a pile of races overseas, no, I don't think that's the answer. We're a domestic championship, and if we did two, that would be my absolute maximum. We need to cater to the fans here, and we need to to you know. Make it, make it, give them the appetite. And I don't think, I don't think racing overseas is where it's at for us. You certainly don't get any more money from your sponsor for travelling overseas because they're all paid out of domestic budget, almost. Right. Anyway, you, you must be excited at the fact that it, it appears that there's going to be a bit of proliferation of new tracks. You know, Tail and Bend, talk about Newcastle, talk about what in Townsville. You know, and the second track at Bathurst. This, this is pretty exciting times. Yeah, I think I think drivers always like to go to new circuits, but but um, you know the one in Tarlem Bend's probably the real, the one that's most real at the moment, and it, it looks pretty impressive. And it's you know we've come off a um, you know a long period of time where circuits have been disappearing and none have been reappearing. So it's really good to see that you know people need circuits to race on. And and I also you know I know there needs to be a balance between traditional circuits and. And street circuits, but street circuits don't help anyone. No one can do any club racing. No one can do any of that sort of stuff. And, you know, as John knows, you've got to be able to do that stuff as a kid to get a, you know, get a start somewhere. Yes. And and uh, Gen 2, or Gen 3, rather. 
Um, where where are you on that in your particular team? Me, Gen three. I don't think yeah. they've even got Gen two rolled out yet. So I certainly oh, haven't. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> haven't you got Audi um, and everyone knocking down your doors trying to get you to build them cars? The thing about manufacturers is they come and go when it suits them, not when it suits us. And and um, while supercars are trying to give us an opportunity to be able to go to manufacturers and say, hey, these aren't V8s, they're V6s, you actually have one of those in your fleet, how about getting on board, which which might or might not help. I, I get where that, that thought is coming from. My personal point of view, and that's what it is, um, is we shouldn't we shouldn't deviate from a V8 category. I think we've gone from a category where everyone used to get a little bit of help from a manufacturer to a category where there's two teams that are sponsored by manufacturers and all the rest of us buy all our bits. So um, I think we're more of an entertainment type of business nowadays than a win on Sunday, sell on Monday type of business. And, and we should adjust, you know, cut our cloth accordingly. So me, I feel that, you know, I feel going away from a VA, we do at our peril. Yeah, okay. And John, your point of view on that? I, I just, I'd be a little bit worried about the punter that drives the, you know, the Subaru, the Mazda, the Toyota. They're all looking for something to show their mark. The 12 hours gaining, everyone's talking up the supercars is, you know, there's no V8s holding forward or shutting down, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Penske, I, know, I saw today, was going to run the Ford still two o two eighteen. Um, you know, I'm just not that connected enough to know the feelings. I just look the everyday guy that I talk to about supercars. Some kids have never heard of it. They don't even know about. It. They don't watch, don't get Fox. They don't watch it. I'm struggling. I got Fox, but thinking about flicking it. If I, if I didn't have porn and a couple of good movies, I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have it. So I wouldn't watch it. So how does a punter watch the average supercar race? You know, yeah, it's but hard, they still hard don't, to talk to them about it. Well, I mean, it, look, you know, the business had to go and do that deal with Fox at the time to keep everyone in business. But that's, that's what happened, happened to they do Bob have... James. Oh, no, what happened to Bob James is different. The supercars is a little bit different to that in that I think that we're simulcast for six rounds and we're on a delay... With 10, now, would you want to be on 10? Probably not. You know, they're in a fair bit of trouble at the moment. It would have been nice to stay at 7, and it'd be nice to have it simulcast. I actually like the Fox replays because they don't cut a third of it out with ads. So if you can afford it, then it's definitely the best way to watch motorsport, any sort of motorsport. I think, you know, what Bob's problem was is he paid so much money to us in prize money that we didn't, not many of us had, you know, you had proper sponsors and I had proper sponsors, but a lot of the other people propped it up with the money he paid and then when he couldn't pay anymore, um, the category fell apart. So um, I, I don't know that it'll be like this forever. I, I think in the next, you know, in five years' time, I don't think anyone knows how people will be watching anything. I, you know, I sit and watch a movie on television and try to get Macaulay to sit and watch it with me and he's busy scrolling <laughs> through his phone. So, you know, he'd much... And it looks like, for me, that's like ants running. But So I think it's it's very different. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes out. But um, at the end of the day, I, I do think that we've got a bit of an identity problem for people that don't have Fox and don't watch it and aren't passionate about it. Our fan base is getting older and older and older. But I don't know. There's so many options now. Like my, my best friend is a couple of doors down from me. And I said to him the other day, do you want to come to win? I'll give you a ticket. And, you know, Mac is racing and you can watch him. He said, oh, you know, Brad, I think the TV is better. I've got Fox now. I just want to watch it on TV. And, and it really affects the game. And I think, I think motorsport's one of those games that you've got to engage at some point because if you, if you watch it fleetingly on television, you don't, you don't necessarily get get hooked into it like you do when you actually attend the event. And it's passing. If you don't pass, you know, yeah. that's racing. I want to beat you. You you want to beat me. You know, that, that's it. And everyone and all my mates want to know: Did you beat Brad? It's the <laughs> same shit. It's Oscar NASCAR. Loved it. Where did you come? Where did you finish? And supercars is the same. They just, I just struggle with you know the penalties, the way they do it. I'm, and I'm, I'm fortunate to have Fox, but I just, 
I struggle with the people that don't have Fox, don't know about ours, don't get on the social media and look at all how it all works. Yeah, but no, no, it's it's just, what you, I, I think what you're saying has got a lot of struggle, you know, But that's where the series has been very successful, Brad, and there's a, a thing that John doesn't know about and people don't understand completely, but it's called Repucon, and they give you a, 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 a whole chunk of data and what you're seeing, Brad, is you're seeing that people are really digesting the sport now through that online platform. Yeah, and and if people are into it, then then you know we got more viewers than we've ever had ever in supercars. But are they are they you know how old? Yeah, you know, well they know how old they are. You're right. Replicon tells you everything. But you know what? It's, it's <laughs> still. I, I mean, I agree with John. You wonder, people always, you know, ask you about it and want to talk about it and have an interest in it. And, you know, I feel like we're one of those businesses that should be on free-to-air. And, and um, uh, I, you know, but I was also part of the decision-making process when we went away from it. And, you know, that was just due to money. So um, we got another three years of that deal to go and then we'll work out where we need to go going forward. But but it's, it's far from perfect and it would be nice to have more passing and... and but you know, different tracks uh, give you different opportunities. And but but at the moment, it's it's hard to know. You know, and well, a lot of things are at the maximum. You know, like brakes exploding at Bathurst last year, and you know, we run temperatures in brakes now. Shit, you wouldn't ever think about running five years ago. Um, you know, setups. You know, the, the tyres exploding. And I can remember. You know, it wasn't that long ago you'd be running two and a half degrees, three and a half degrees of negative camber on the front. You know, there wouldn't be a car out there with less than seven or seven and a half on it so it's it, you know it's every tiny little bit and and what that makes for very close racing and what that makes for is not a lot of passing so short of making it a one make series i'm not sure what the answer is well mm-hmm. that's probably a good time to uh, end this conversation because uh, it uh, it seems that the series you know is uh, throwing plenty of new teams up there and there's Lots of drivers who are having great weekends. Last year, uh, Timmy Slade did at Winton. Uh, was it last year? Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we, tr- you know, and I've got to say, super, one of the things that supercars are doing is they're trying to encourage. You know, we don't have any new team owners, as John said. Finding a million and a half or more, you know, you need two and a half nowadays, is hard work. But with the um, the wildcard opportunities for the Super 2 drivers, which, you know, uh, the Dunlop series, um, I think that's a great opportunity for young guys to, to come into the series and not drown and do a couple of races and work out how hard is it at a sprint event. And also for teams, Matt Stone, Matthew White, those guys are going to come and do a few races with us this year. So I think, you know, there are things that we need to do. I mean, we need new team owners. You know, we need, and we need racers. You know, racers yeah. are a dying breed. So, yep. uh, you know, I describe my brother and I as racers, but, you know, Roger Penske's a racer, but he's a different sort of racer to us. You know, like, you know, we like Ross and Jimmy Stone, I guess, but, you know, there's not that many of them up and down Pit Lane anymore, and that's a terrible shame because they're the people with the passion, I think. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Brad, Brad, indeed. Brad says exactly, I echo, it's fantastic. He's, he's just as switched on as I, I felt I was when I was running it, and I think... You know, he's he's right on the point. He's 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 an ex frustrated driver. Now he now is seeing it all unfold in front of him, and he knows the direction. He knows what's got to happen. Uh, I'm all for it. Um, we just we just have to do it. We just got to get we got to get these Dunlop guys, development series guys. We just want new faces. We want to see Rulo win a race. You know, on tel- I don't think you're ever going to see Rulo win a race. Yeah. But hey, you know, Simone, you've good- got. Yeah, yeah, no, you do, and you get some really good guys. You know, like Will Brown's just coming to Super Two, and he's really fast. Yep. And there's a, you know, Jack LeBrock would be good in the main yep. series, and and Todd. So and, you know, I'm in. hoping so to get Macaulay get, get, in there. So can't we get them in? Well, why can't we get them in? Well, it's opportunity, and you know, the thing is, once they get into the series, they need to sink or swim pretty quickly. So they've got a year or two, and then they disappear. So. You know, you, it's, you know, you look at Betty and Woody. You know, you'd be nice to have someone in with Dave Reynolds, but the bottom line is Woody brings a million bucks along with him. So oh, you've got, got to go and find, you've got to go and find the million bucks or you've got to, you know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those things, you know, it's Brighty got that drive at FPR because he bought along his wreck and, and that's yep. not great. But, but, you know, they would have, could have got one of Lucas's and put, 
put Gary in that car. So, you know, we're, I, I feel like, and I, I'm with you on 100%, you know, we need some new young blood. It takes, you know, we're lucky to have one or two come into the category a year and they sink or swim really quickly. And, and you know, we almost lost Jamie Winkup. You know, he, he was went with Gary and what a waste that would have been. So yeah. we need them yeah. in and we need to blood them and we need to get them so when they get in, they're like, they're like waters and they go okay. And then the second year, they actually, you know, can get some results and then they'll survive. So hopefully we're making that a little better. No, makes sense. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself... Of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Our final thoughts looking on this year's championship and the way it's developing. Craig, have you got your final thought? My final thought is uh, I love the short tracks, and I know that uh, the tracks that are being built out at the Bend and, and other places that are mooted are going to build these big, long, you know, monster tracks, and the Bend is going for a World Endurance Championship-style uh, circuit. But, gee, I would love to see some more short tracks. We, we've got Wakefield Park, but uh, that was deemed too dangerous for the uh, Dun- Dunlop Super Twos a few years back when they had a uh, when they had a roller derby on the circuit, and it was basically the end of independent uh, uh, Dunlop Super Two race weekends. But I think those fifty nine minute tw- minute ten circuits are potentially able to produce uh, a more exciting race in the shorter, shorter version, like the 300-kilometre version, than we see at, at some of the bigger tracks over that same distance. Uh, obviously, Bathurst Sandown, they're 500 k's, 1,000 k's. Their track length is long enough and their race length is long enough to produce some good racing. But I really love Tassie. I really love... Um, I really love when they go to Perth. And, of course, Winton, to me, is, you know, like kissing your auntie, isn't it? It's just that it's not a short track and it's not a long track. It's just in the middle. Can still provide good racing, but, gee, I love the short tracks. When I came into the championship in the early 90s, Craig, one thing I vividly remember was discovering that so many of these tracks were 2.41 kilometres in length. Winton, Simmons Plain, <laughs> Barbagello. This is 2.41. What was it? You know, that, that was the length it had to be. Interesting, looking at the track length is uh, the news this week, uh, I would say more than likely intentionally leaked by Supercars Australia, that uh, Sepang is back on the uh, agenda, but not the street circuit as was mooted in 2015. And also they took five cars up there and gave them a run. But this is, in fact, a permanent circuit, the one in which has been like a Formula One and a 24-hour track. Now, I, I think it's uh, having been to a number of the venues, including Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and Ch- Shanghai and Austin, look, it's terrific to be there as a member of the circus that travels there. But as for the fans back here, because they're playing at, you know, at times of night that really aren't conducive to watching, it, it, it may as well be more events here. Now, with both Tail and Bend, potentially a Newcastle track, maybe even one up in Townsville. With all these new permanent circuits, I hope and only hope that they're not any more of these overseas trips are not going to be at the expense of the local events because clearly they need these events uh, to, to actually make some money. Mm. And uh, albeit that they're a big problem, but it's still I hope that they don't take from the events and just add to them. It just means better management and a better schedule not the craziness that's going on now with teams having only three or four days in their workshop before they have to turn around the trucks and head them out again. Yeah, interesting with Sepang, because uh, I think there's a new track being built in Malaysia, which there was a lot of reports that the supercars might go to the new circuit. But Sepang is, I think, from memory, the first of the Tinkler circuits. And uh, there's some talk that F1 might not be going back there. So they might be looking for a draw card. 
um, if they don't have the F1 ticket anymore. Indeed. We'll watch this space and we'll look up for more news coming in future editions of Inside Supercars with Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. Good night, Craig. Good night, Tony. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. 